Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Previously, Previously. on the Game On Podcast. So, yeah, it was a bit of a... Look, it's, you know, the, the suburban Victorian grounds of the old VFL slash early AFL days. Um, yeah, they were, they were scary, but yeah, the parochial supporters, but gee whiz, as a South Australian going over there to play for the Adelaide Crows, was, it was massive and it was exciting and uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be dead for quids. It was just fantastic. What an opponent first up, though, yeah. Cass, too. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, Dakes. Dakes first. Actually, I was pretty, I was pretty lucky because he took a one-hander in, I think, the first 30 seconds and I was like, oh, my God, this could be a nightmare and he's... he's He's shanked the kick because we're in six feet of mud. So I was, I was a bit lucky there. And then um, actually Paul Williams was, was running rampant. So I got, I got flipped onto him pretty quick. So I'm thank God I didn't stand Dakes for too long. But um, yeah, when you, when you roll out in the mid, middle of Vic Park on the half forward line there for the Collingwood Pies and there's number 35, you get, oh God, <laughs> it's, it's like a dream and a nightmare all rolled yeah, into one. That's yeah, that's a very good way of putting it though. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. That was Sean Tosca from last week in The Great Man over at Victoria Park. Yeah, great insight to Tass' career and then obviously on the concussion issue, which we're going to continue on as well. We're going to follow up with David Stevens from the head of Neuroflex Research later on in the episode, so keep a bit of an eye out for that one. Yeah, so greatly appreciated Sean's input in that regard as well. Absolutely. Around the Grounds. off around the grounds today we're going to have a little bit of a look at the world cup which is finally finished at the big bash at the strikers and um, some sanfl local sanfl news but first mate we kick off with the a league very very topical subject at the moment we've had such a successful um, 
campaign overseas and all of a sudden we've come back to uh, a bit of volatility in the A-League. Absolutely extraordinary. If any sport can score an own goal, it's the world game, football, soccer, yes. either way, whatever you want to say. But we've gained some momentum. You know, we've got from an Adelaide side of things, Craig Goodwin scores against France and then, you know, Still effectively scores against yes. Argentina. Okay, we can debate, debate there's no goal or not. Absolutely. But we've, we've hit a bit of momentum in the game. And then, bugger me, just a lunatic decision to go against something which, for my mind, the world game had correct here. I think it's a, it's a farcical that the grand finals in Melbourne every year, rugby and all that. I personally think home ground advantage, it's earned yeah. and it should occur. So that was the thing. And I'm sorry, the other thing is, as we know, in AFL, grand final at the G, you're going to get your 100,000. We know that beforehand. You're not going to with a world game. If, if you have Perth playing Adelaide in Sydney, you'll be lucky to get 10,000 for the game. And I think actually with this decision, there's so much angst about from the supporters of the stupidity of it, I actually don't think you're going to get a huge numbers to travel. Mary's obviously far better... Absolutely, to speak about and, it, and we'll bring yeah. we'll bring Mary in now. Yes. We uh, we've we've spoken to her previously on a previous episode. I've touched base with her about the decision, and obviously the supporters groups have got together and put out a little bit of a statement. And I might I might let Mary expand on that a little bit further. Thank you, Mary, for joining us. Afternoon, fellas. How are we? Good, thanks, Hi, Mary. Obviously, it was a big shock to you guys as supporters. But what what's been going on behind the scenes? Behind the scenes, we've never seen more solidarity between active support groups as well as the general supporter bases across the clubs, of course, but particularly between, you know, the hardcores that, that rock up week in, week out, um, you know, for the last almost two decades, there's been your, your typical healthy, for the most part, rivalries, um, you know, but uh, this decision has brought every club, obviously, by the obvious, together uh, in a way that's never been seen before. And that just goes to show how diabolical this decision was and how completely wrong they got it. Uh, obviously, when it first happened, uh, each supporter group was probably doing their own thing with slight variations, but um, I've noticed that you guys have put out a, a statement, a joint statement. Uh, just run us through how that all came about and um, and obviously what happens from now on. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, obviously... The decision hit the headlines last Monday, so a bit over a week. Um, by Thursday, the act, you know, a couple of people that, you know, from city to city that did know of each other um, started a conversation. So uh, from memory, it was an Adelaide boy and a Melbourne City boy um, got chatting and agreed pretty quickly that, you know, a bigger discussion should be held um, to, to just suss out how everyone was feeling in their respective cities. Uh, so we got a WhatsApp together. Uh, everyone was in it uh, by the next day, including Melbourne Victory. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was very obvious that you know we were all furious, we we're all heartbroken that, that they'd gone and done this without any consultation of the fans. Um, and by each passing day, more news was hitting the headlines that some clubs weren't even told about it until it was signed, sealed, and delivered. There's just so much wrong with the structure of the APL in itself that keeps clubs completely in the dark if they're not on that board and and that's just that's just absolutely farcical when you when you know the decisions affect everyone um so 
Yeah, big, big uh, WhatsApp chat with, with 12 groups. We, we obviously tried to get some of the women supporter groups involved, involved as well. Um, they have told us that, you know, whilst they support our general message, <clears throat> they are in a bit of a different position, uh, just with the women's game obviously being in more of an even dire of uh, financial and supporter-based position than the men's, um, you know, that they won't necessarily get on board with putting their logo on the statement that we came up with, but they fully support what we're saying and uh, and uh, and back everything that we, we'd want to fight for. Um, obviously, then by the Sunday, uh, or Saturday night rather, the Melbourne Derby, and what happened there uh, up through everything in the bin. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that um, a little bit later. Was, uh, agreed. So, yeah, it's uh, – but that, that's where it started. Um, and obviously every single day this chat has just been, you know, 24-7. This has become our lives. Uh, it, it's that important to us. It's that important that we represent our clubs and our fans and, you know, we feel we're a decent voice to um, to try and get, get the message across. I actually think it's room really poorly even – explained by the hierarchy which it hasn't it's really just come out well it's 12 million dollars we need the money but it hasn't really been pointed out the dynamic of it right that's the figure that's what we mm. would have made out of the grant that figure which we 50 odd thousand people turning up at Adelaide Oval what's the dynamics there of the money of how that goes back to clubs and to the association how about a bit yeah, more so trans- they- how about a bit more transparency mm. Mm. explaining everything, Absolutely. how you've come to that decision. And if they came and said, right, from that we only make $200,000, rah, 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 these are our expenses. By doing this, it's bankrolling the game for the next 10 years. Well, then you can sort of understand it. But at the moment, it's cloak and dagger stuff, hidden, hidden. And I think that's a big part of where the angst of, it, of all of us is about. 100% mate that's exactly what happened and look since then over the last week some of these figures have come out um and and you know people do start to understand the position that they were in but exactly what you said is too little too late we're already angry we're already angry that you made a decision without the consultation of the biggest stakeholder which is the fans they they talk about all right 12 million bucks we're going to distribute it amongst the clubs over a three-year period you'll all get x amount of money um and then, you know, Destination New South Wales will earn that money back over the next three finals with this big U-Butte football festival over a week with lots of different activities, all-star games, the, the um, Dolan Warren game, you know, uh, awards night, all that. They're forgetting that the people that are going to give them that money back is us. We're the ones that have to pay for the flights, the accommodation, and then get there and give them our money for ticketing and food and drinks and, all, and merchandise and all those things. And it was just so short-sighted. Uh, they've literally picked the most expensive city in the country on top of the obvious full week. Can you imagine what you'd spend in a week in Sydney with all of those things? It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible for the everyday fan. Um, in terms of the grand final itself, you know, the hardcore supporters, we, we'll, we'll try all we can to always get to wherever our team is playing in a final. But it's the Joe blows off the street that wants to take his kid to their first grand final in their exactly. home city they're not going to be able to come up with 1500 bucks to be able to do that. And I think that's where they've just, you know, one of the one of the reasons where they've got it so wrong. I think yep. the Adelaide and Perth are a great example of how, how many yeah. numbers you can get to a game. Um, Mary, I also oh, noticed yeah. on your uh, supporter statement, uh, you came up with a list of four or five uh, um, um, decisions that you'd Re- like to see implemented. Yeah. Recommendations? Yeah, recommendations, yeah. yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, so look, we, we're not we're not about, you know, calling them demands or, you know, throwing ourselves on the ground with our toys. It's this is a peaceful, unified statement uh, with a list of reasonable suggestions, reasonable suggestions of how we can work together better in the future. And one of one of the, the fourth one is an exploration into the New South Wales decision. Mm -hmm. But if that didn't happen, we still think the other the other things are achievable and reasonable. Um, you know, the, the active supporter fans, thanks to thanks to some, have been tarnished with a bad reputation. But we're not all like that. You know, 90% of us are just football-loving people that are passionate. We're spending our hard-earned money on, on going into these games. We book our memberships before first kicks even hit the pitch. We count too. We, we're important too, you know. It's not just the families and the, the individuals that, that buy a game ticket uh, on the week. It's, you know, so we think that what we've come up with is reasonable. We've, we've used information at hand from our own clubs and we've all had... Um, some of us, most of us now at this point have had meetings with our own clubs privately. Mm -hmm. So we've got a little bit more background information on where our club stands in all of this, the financial situation and what would be good and bad going forward. You know, should we sort of hit, hit the pedal on, on further protests? So, and again, we've come back to that collective group chat and shared this information. So th this wasn't just an overnight thing that someone just whipped up. This has been well thought out, well researched to the best of our ability. And at this point, uh, you know, what we are asking for is a collective meeting with the APL, but it will only be if every single supporter group is present. We don't want any individual supporter groups to be approached individually because we feel it's a divide and conquer tactic by yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we're just, we're not going to do it. I think so the key one, so one request. key stakeholders are obviously the fans in any sport, and uh, as soon as you start ignoring them, you're going to have some problems, which sort of leads yep. me on to my next point. Uh, and, and Malcolm, you can jump in here as well. Uh, the volatility that happened on uh, Saturday night uh, over in Melbourne, uh, not a great advertisement for the game. No, it's a terrible advertisement for the game. Still, I think we're still stuck. Where in the hell did these flares get in so easily at? at Fifty apparently. Yeah, like it's and the sand. Not everyone's not sure whether that was taken in, whether it was lying around. It, just yeah, several bizarre things about it. Um, I mean, Mary, as a, yeah. as part of the supporters group, uh, you'd have been horrified to uh, to see supporters acting that way. But I think part of it is that little bit of volatility and that volcano ready to explode that a lot of me uh, members and um, season ticket holders are quite. Angry, I suppose, at the decisions that have been made, but they sort of uh, unfortunately displayed it in a manner that we didn't want to see at all. No, we we didn't we didn't that that was never <laughs> in no. the plan, and 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 it, and it shocked the hell out of us as well because, as I said, victory had a OSM had a rep in that original chat. Yeah. Uh, it just was it was not envisioned early on um, from from the outset uh, when it happened. And the more we watched, you know, people's Twitter footage and from the stands in the bays from different areas yep. and then scrolling through further Twitter feeds and seeing previous comments that some hadn't seen before, it unfortunately seems like it, there had been rumours of, of it being a premeditated thing. Um, and uh, that really disappointed us because we, you know, we had a plan, as I said, as, as a collective. Yep. Uh, it was a very difficult – well, look, it wasn't a difficult decision to make to exclude them from the statement. It was an obvious choice to make. Mm -hmm. uh, we couldn't 
possibly be, uh, you know, seen to to be any any part of that or well, to accept it. And especially you know, not with a show cause notice that was in the in the pipeline, obviously straight after the uh, the event had happened. No. no, it was it was it was heartbreaking to see. We were we were gutted, like we'd. We were shocked. We couldn't speak, didn't sleep. It was just horrible. The way the rest of us felt after that happened, it was just such a poor demonstration of of humanity, let alone anything yeah, to do with yeah. football. That's superbly, <laughs> you know? that's superbly um, put, Mary. And that's the more important yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And it has no place in football. It doesn't have any place anywhere. And they, they took an opportunity to be to be horrible people, to, to just be purely human, purely horrible humans and – you know, we're never going to never going to encourage that, and we won't be a part of it. Unfortunately, so it doesn't represent the rest of us. You yeah. know, unfortunately, it's a case of the the few spoiling it for the many, and uh, and it looks like on this occasion there was a a few people that have uh, been identified that uh, were certainly spoiling for the fight, and uh, we definitely don't want to be seeing that at any level of sport, let alone um, you know on the national stage as well. No, hundred percent, and they, and then they'll get their dues, and we're glad that things seem to be moving pretty swiftly there. They're not they're not. Uh, Still going too slowly on on the on that, but you know we we've moved on to an extent from that, and we need to make sure that the, the main message that was there before all this happened remains. Um, and uh, yeah, so we all all clubs by them will be uh, you know continuing with, with our plans and uh, of peaceful protests, and uh, and will remain committed to trying to get this meeting with the APL should they be willing to come to the party. So I'll get you out of here on this one, uh, and we talked about it briefly last week, and I'm not sure where the plans have changed, but you've got a game coming up on the 27th of December. Is the planned walkout of the uh, Bays uh, still going ahead? Uh, we've altered it. Um, we're, we're going to do uh, a walk-in. So we're, uh, we, we're after discussions with our own club, again, um, talking about what's important to our, our local area as well as the bigger picture. And and also, like I said, not wanting to be seen as being pushy or disgusting or anything like that. We we want to work in collaboration, but also get our point across. What we've decided just for this this coming game on the twenty seventh uh, is a walk in. So the first twenty minutes will actually be completely empty bays um, with our with our banner, which is our which is the hashtag we've put on our statement, our voice, our game. Um, and that, that's just to let them know how quiet things can be without the loudest voices in the in the game, which is the fans. Um, at the twentieth minute, we'll walk in and we'll 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 be there to get back around our boys so that they're not uh, impacted too much. Fantastic. Not to say yep. that's going yep. to be the plan with every game going forward, but this is just one way we've chosen to do it in this instance. Uh, it's a double header, so you know, funny few things to work around there. Having the women's game beforehand, we felt this was this was effective in this instance. Yep. No. Good so, idea. Sounds like you've got it all planned out there, Mary. Thank you for joining us tonight and uh, giving us a bit of an update on, uh, well, really a big week in soccer or the world game. It's ever changing, uh, but we're committed and uh, you know we, we love it and it, it, it means it means so much to us. So we're gonna we're gonna dig in on this one, boys. But thanks for having me on. Not a problem, and hopefully we can get you back on in the new year with some uh, happier news. Definitely, absolutely. Mary. Thank you, absolutely. Mary. Greatly Cheers, appreciated, thanks. Mary. Absolutely unbelievable scenes over in Melbourne over the weekend where pitch invasion was taken to a whole new level. Shaking my head in disbelief that's, that the world game soccer has shot itself in the foot yet again in Australia. Yeah, just extraordinary. And look, we wait and see what penalties Melbourne victory are going to get. They've been obviously shown a show cause notice, which I believe was due today at 9am. That's obviously been yeah. submitted. So we'll wait to see what happens from that. You'd be pretty much well guaranteed there's going to be some pretty severe sanctions. But they are talking that they're not going to 
bring the club to its knees because of it, but, you know, there's obviously going to be changes there. It'd be interesting to see how many, what points deduction. I think that's probably the one. Fines, yeah, we'll sit there, yeah, okay. But, yep. yeah, that's going to be the one. That's going to show off the, how fair income they are. Absolutely. Golf. Tiger and his son Charlie playing in the PNC Championship. Yeah, mate. they've they've paired together. This is a, a tournament that's run by the PGA for their their players, but they also invite their sons and daughters that are involved in golf to come along to an event. They've, I think they won it last year, or they went close to winning it last year. But um, what a great event where you can actually participate with a parent. It's pretty unique, isn't it? It, it is. Probably shows how golf. You know, it doesn't matter what age you are to play and it's not like you're playing footy and your career finishes at footy in your 30s, as we know. Same thing, soccer, but golf, it doesn't really matter. So it's unique in that way. There's not too many sports where you can say, you know, father and son play in the same footy team. Usually when the father's about to retire, the young Colt is coming up and probably playing his first A-grade game. Um you know, yeah, it's just a unique event where uh, it's great. I mean, there's probably only a couple of other sports that I can think of that might might do that. But, geez, what a great event! And Vijay Singh and his son uh, ended up winning the event with uh, Tiger and Charlie coming third. So, great advertisement for the game, I think. No, I think fantastic, uh, mate. We move on to cricket. We'll we'll have a look at uh, the Test cricket first. Geez, uh, the uh, Test series against South Africa did not go to plan, um, ending in two days. Look, I want to hear a few things here. Now, you consider this my bake if you want as well, the, the game of cricket in general. Now, it used to be a team would arrive, they would have a warm-up game, the social game in Lilac Hill. They would play a full-strength WA side, a full-strength South Australian yep. side, and then Queensland, and occasionally New South Wales as well, yep. before the first test. So everything was match-hardened. Now, it's one warm-up game, against 11 blokes they get out of the bar, seemingly, like you and I can probably play in that. It's been, and, been kind. And it's just the preparation is it's, is ridiculous and it's become such a money game. So now, David Warner out of touch in terms of, can you drop him from the test side? What are we doing at the moment? We're playing, playing Big Bash. Big bash. Yeah. It, it seems like cricket as a whole is not on the same page worldwide where players are almost flying in a week before they've got to play, uh, expected to perform. And what made it worse was, uh, which is our next point there, that the the pitch wasn't up to standard. No, it wasn't. It was too much in favour of the bowlers. But I, I do think both sides' batting was pretty average. Yep. Um, Travis you know, Head was probably Travis the Smith. only one who mastered it, really. Travis Head and Steve Smith's partnership effectively won the game. Yep. Um, and I do think South Africa's batting is pretty thin yep. anyway. But their bowling attack yes, is pretty good. good, so yeah. it's a bit of a, a balancing act there. So, yes, the pitch wasn't it wasn't good enough, but I don't think it was quite as bad as both teams' batting made out either. So. Agreed. So uh, uh, Brisbane have uh, received a strike or, or a demerit point uh, that, that's got to last for five years. I think because of the weather situation that we've been having here in Australia hasn't helped... Uh, the pitch at all, but then yeah, they are dropping them in these days. So no, you would Queensland's ex- not. Queensland's right. not. Right. That makes sense then. Yeah, Queensland's not a drop in. Um, and North CSEG, that's both. They've both stayed. Stayed. Yep. Oh look, I, that question while weather was brought up, and Queensland has said no, we can't defend ourselves on that. Mm-hmm. Um, look, it looked like a traditional shield wicket. Those but wickets are bought out for shield games. Yep. And quite often there are results in two and three days, and it shows Queensland. 
Queensland and WA with their advantage with their being able to prepare the bouncy deck in yep. WA and then yep. the C movement in Queensland. So you get the results. Yeah, but it was, it was as green as the outfield, oh, though. That was, was the problem. It was quite bizarre. You looked at it beforehand and going, geez, now, I've been around the traps and watched a lot of cricket, and yep. I'm going, wow. I haven't got a, uh, a big backyard, but I reckon uh, oh. the grass in my backyard <laughs> might have been a, a little bit uh, better prepared than, oh. than what it was. But, you know, hey, it, it's interesting. Um, I think they were very lucky to get only an average and not a poor. Yes. So I do think they were a bit lucky there. But look, The stadium's going to be ripped up in three years anyway yeah. for the Commonwealth Games, so it's not going to matter too much. Um, for the Olympics, yeah. For the Olympics. What do we expect out of the Boxing Day test, which is coming up this weekend, coming? It is interesting because the Boxing Day pitch in Melbourne, they've managed to get some life back into it. Now, they're probably at the moment desperately trying to prepare a road so to get the game to go longer. Yes. Um, I think we all got to wait and see. Hazelwood v. Boland. I think it should be Boland. I, I'm, I'm in agreement there as well. I think, I think you a, go with a form player. I think he's earned his spot. Uh, well, with a ridiculous test average of 10. Yeah, and let's forget, he's considered the MCG specialist. Get six for seven last year. I don't think you can leave him out. Yeah, it's so. going to be an interesting call, and I know that a few of the – Brett Lee and a few of the other players were sort of – Pondering over that little conundrum, the, that who's gonna who's gonna who play, whether it's gonna be Boland or Hazelwood. So, all right, mate, we better get off to a quick break. But when we come back, we'll have a little bit of a look at the World Cup. You're listening to the Game On podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. So, Argentina get the job done. They do. We sat here last week. You you picked. Well, I can't remember can't who remember we picked. Now. It wasn't so Argentina. You, you, put it that way. you picked France. I yeah. picked Argentina, and we sort of said, "Well, maybe it's going to be a, a draw." And guess what? We got a three-all draw, and it was yeah. a thrilling game, wasn't it? It was a fantastic game. Some brilliant goals. You know, one of Argentina's goals was was actually just no. It was France actually it was perfection yes. to the millimeter in terms of the passing. The passing, of the ball. yeah, yes. And was impossible to defend. It was brilliant. Um, so a fantastic game and a great advertisement for the game. Oh, obviously, uh, you know, with everything that had been going on, there were question marks about playing in Qatar. I think they were relayed in the end because the the football really spoke for itself. And Messi certainly put himself up in the in the talking of the greatest of all time. I agree. He's certainly to, right up there. To listen to some of his story and some of the background in that. You know, as a youngster, he was a little bit undersized and had to take some growth hormones to assist that as well. Um, you know, then having to leave Argentina, fantastic achievement. And, you know, what what's scary about that is that these guys play together, um, Mbappe and uh, Messi play together in the in the same side, uh, which is just scary when you really think about it. But, gee, a three-all draw and, a, and obviously a penalty shooter, I don't think you could have asked for anything more, really. Yeah, whether you do... I'd love to come up with a method where it wasn't a penalty shootout and that do you go to 9v9 or something. I'm not convinced on the penalty shootout, but what a great game overall. Fantastic. Australia moves up in the rankings as well, which uh, just looking at the, the, the rankings over the last uh, 12 years, they're incrementally moving up that list uh, to number 11, I believe, in the world at the moment. Um, look, fantastic. And I think we're all... Arnold before the World Cup. Uh, yeah. I think he's the man, isn't he? Well, 
you can't argue against that result. Australia didn't have a Tim Kale or a, or a you know Viduka Kuehl yep. player. So I I think in a lot of regards it, it is our greatest achievement at a World Cup. I think he utilised the players that he had at the right times. You know, you look yeah. at someone like Goodwin comes on, provides that little bit of spark. Um, a couple of other players that they slotted into the side at various stages, and and they had a big impact on the, on the results. Uh, yeah, I think it is a great, great result for Australia. Yeah, and, you know, Bappe, whether at 24 years old... He's only 24, mate. It is scary. <laughs> it is know, scary. Skill, it, it just remarkable. And it, and it did, it was, you know, they call it the beautiful game or the world game and the beautiful of it. He certainly it, makes it, it was look, fantastic. Yeah, he certainly makes it look very good. Already got a World Cup under his belt, uh, so, you know, runner-up this time around. But, yeah. you know, well, he's got a long, long way to go in his career. All right, we move on to the Big Bash. Uh, we sat here last week. You were heading off to the first Strikers game. Well, gee whiz, a lot's happened since the, that first game. Yeah, um, great start for the season. You know, the bizarre thing of last Friday night, Sydney Thunder. So we've only made 139. Yes. We were all thinking, well, that's not enough. No, we have to bowl well yeah, to keep, no, it, keep it tight, yes. And two for five. Hale's still in, though, yeah. Two minutes later, four for five, yep. six for nine, yep. seven for ten. Where's it going? <laughs> they recovered V8 for 14, the inside edge from Doggett. And I actually know a guy who'd backed Russo for the Rosario, have you pronounced, Riley Rousseau, um, for top score. And at that stage with three, he was. So it was actually quite amusing wow. that he only lost on an edge, an inside edge before to Dog. So it was extraordinary. It was quite bizarre. The catch by Short at first slip was an absolute cracker, mate. wasn't it? Yeah, it was a great catch. And they did bowl and everything went to hand. It was one of those things. But their, yeah, their line 15. and length was very, very good. Everyone seemed to be hitting the spots. And then, yeah, basically anywhere that, that uh, the Sydney Thunder hit it, it found a fieldsman. <laughs> and we bowled him out for 15 and Rashid Khan hasn't bowled a ball. Extraordinary. That is crazy. Bizarre. I think it's going to be a record that is going to stand yeah. for a very, very long time. I will say I did go on Tuesday night as well. They certainly, the Thunder, look a little bit like Hale out, all out, that they are relying on him a fair bit. But I do, we'll have another bake, add one here. Chris Green's captaincy on on Tuesday night, yeah. he, would, he would have sunk Popeye in the Torrens it was that bad. How in the hell, when it gets down to needing a run or so of yes. ball? They push the field back and then why move not them, try and keep move the new guns back? It yeah. was it was bizarre. Yeah, yeah, it was almost like trying to save save face. Almost going well, it's a close victory, a couple of balls to go, but you lost by four wickets. I mean, it was weird. And 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 the strikers were in control the entire time. Really, yeah, at the I, end of the day, I couldn't get it. Look, clever batting by Short. There was no doubt he targeted Sam's and the short boundary. Um, yeah, I, I think the mix for the strikers at the moment is quite right. And, yeah, they haven't had to rely on Rashid Khan for the, that little bit of magic game in, game out. But they he, also don't have him as well for the entire tournament. No. So th- this is a good sign. Yeah, and and give Peter Siddle his due with Capsie the other night, changed it up, Gronholm bowled four, short bowl three. We took the pace off the ball a fair bit. Yep. Agar had gone for 26 off two, so probably just played a bit smarter. And certainly the guy captain better on the night won the game. Absolutely. Just a side note to the to the Big Bash, the Australian women's cricket team had a young lady taking a hat-trick. Yeah, Helen Graham. Yep. Um, and ironically, the only other player, player was uh, was Schultz, Megan Schultz, our, our Adelaide Strikers uh, lady. Yep. 
and ironically in the same ground in India. Unbelievable. So, I didn't know that fact, so yeah. well done. Also, McGrath was ca- captaining, I believe, this yeah, game. Yeah, uh, McGrath. So, you know, a little bit of a Adelaide connection there, obviously, with the strikers as well. Yeah, no, great stuff. 4-1 series win to the win, too, overall, when it, when it was one all. And, yeah, so a great result. Absolutely. Now, the Glenelg, mate. Yeah, SNFL news. Last night, I think news came over the airways that... Uh, Darren Reeves, who had been uh, an assistant coach, I think, and a reserves coach at North Adelaide, yep. has got the gig at Glenelg. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting appointment. Look, I'm personally, I, I, I will, you know, show my hand, my hand mm-hmm. uh, that I am a Brett Hand fan, and believe he's been hung out to dry by three players, and I don't believe. I think the club was a bit, bit weak. That's my own opinion. Yep. So we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. Nord's Premiership defence obviously starts, well, it has started with the pre-season. I saw a little clip online that um, they were doing a bit of beach work and, and Twig was really impressive about talking about how, you know, 2022 is 2022. We're really steaming ahead and looking at 2023. Yeah, no, the mail so far is pretty positive. A lot of recruits. So, look, we couldn't believe that Jack Saunders got cut by Hawthorne as a Nord man. And it's our benefit, more really. than happy to have Jack and... Jackson Callow is looking pretty good as well. Fantastic. So that's great news. And the SNFLW draw was released. I think uh, Nord are playing North at Nord Oval. Yeah. First five, first, first five game, yep. rounds have been released. So yep. I, I, I would have thought, why not release it all? But yeah, so footy's not too far away. Absolutely. All right, mate, we'll take another quick break. Uh, when we come back, we've got our past players and past legends series. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Has there ever been anything that has lightened up your day? Whether it was someone who complimented you or maybe you got a promotion at work, these all make you feel happiness. But if you're looking for more, more to lighten up your day, then you should book our mobile coffee service. We are always dedicated to one thing, service. We appeal to all sorts of people, from commuters on their way to work or our regular workplace coffee stops. And best of all, we visit you. Whether it's our top quality and aromatic coffee or our mouth-watering selection of cakes and food, there will always be something for you to enjoy. Servicing Adelaide's metro area. Why not book in a stop today? Find us on Facebook and send us a message. Tour Coffee and Catering. We deliver your daily caffeine fix. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. We welcome Neville Rocky Roberts, one of the all-time greats. You know, 98 games, 198 goals for West Torrens, 48 goals, 81, 48 games, 81 goals for Richmond, 75 to 77, including six for Victoria playing centre in a state game. And then, of course, for the Magnificent Redlegs, 108 games, 413 goals. Overall, 254 games, 692 goals. You know, leading goal kicker... Goal four times at Nord, Century, Nord Team of the Century, Nord Hall of Fame, South Australian Football Hall of Fame in 2006. One of the all-time greats. Welcome. Neville Rocky Roberts. Obviously, Nord, Richmond and West Torrens superstar. Welcome aboard, Rock. Rulebook, always good. 
Glad to talk to you. Yes, and we're on a combined time space tonight, so we're probably going to race through a little bit quicker than we do normally. But Neville, the superstar junior, you know, at Henley High, even your first game for uh, West Torrens BOG against Geelong. Uh, give us an overview of your early career and then the decision to go to Richmond. I can't believe you remember that uh, Geelong game, but uh, on, Ricky, I, I shouldn't be surprised. Should yes. Shouldn't be surprised. Oh, look, I, I played um, I played junior football like every other player does, and uh, went through Henley High School, which is, I guess, in later times become quite uh, uh, popular for producing um, uh, good players. But we had fantastic uh, uh, football program in, in those days, and. But there wasn't there wasn't a pathway or an outcome that you could expect. So identification really came directly from the clubs. And I've got to say that if it wasn't for the West Torrens Footy Club, um, I you know like a lot of players, I might have slipped through the system and not played league football at all. But so I'm greatly indebted to them and um, picking me up and showing me a pathway. And so I had a, a, a you know a two year stint with them before going to Richmond, and then. Um, uh, it's history. I came back. I captained West Torrens for seventy, um, or I came back in, in, in from Richmond in seventy-eight, nine, and eighty, eighty-one. I think I captained the club for a couple of years, eighty, eighty-one, and then went to uh, North. Out of that, Neville, I'll, I'll quite up jump jump in here and say that Neville would wouldn't have left West Torrens if the administration had been. Uh, more stable and decision based had been more professional. I'll, I'll add that. You don't have to comment on that, Neville, but uh, it's obviously something I, I, I hate the word trader being bashed about where people don't understand which things are happening, yeah. you know, how poorly clubs are run at times. Oh, look, I think it's a fair comment. And, and look, to this day, there are people at the West Torrance Footy Club. Uh, and they are champions of the club. Uh, Johnny Graham is a champion yeah. of the West Torrens Footy Club. He's, uh, uh, or, you know, he has been a incredible uh, proprietor of uh, past players, and and he's tried to protect what was the origins of the West Torrens Footy Club prior to the merger, and he protects that like his own territory and. Yeah like the warrior he was when he played, and I respected him. I wore his jumper before I played for West Torrens, and he was a hero of mine. If I, if you asked him today what his view of me, he'd call me a traitor. Yeah. And I, I, I get it, um, but I think it's time for, for Johnny to put down the, the weapons and give me a hug and say, well, look, I'm really sad you left us, uh, but... Um, I understand to some degree. I'll probably never forgive you, but mate, we're we're long in li- we're short in life and uh, and 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 long in memory. Uh, I think it's um, it's it's a little bit uh, disappointing for me to to not be able to celebrate my time at West Torrens because of things like that. But I think John will come around eventually. Oh, anyway, I'll make him come around. Uh, but look, uh, those days those days were fantastic and. Um, we played a different and had a different environment and a quite different, um, uh, uh, if you like, uh, community in football as compared to today. So, uh, you know, uh, I was fortunate to end up, obviously, over time at Norwood and uh, the obvious followed. I had the success I was looking for. 
And your time at Richmond, like, let's not forget, you decided to cross to Richmond as a kid still, really, mm. going to a club who's won back-to-back premierships. Now, there's people out there who don't realise how successful Neville was at Richmond. Let's remember that he, he did get picked to play for Victoria back then when you only allowed to play two players per side. So Francis Burt was captain. So Neville got picked for Victoria in front of Kevin Bartlett, Royce Hart, etc., and kicked the casual six goals playing centre in a state game against Western Australia. Um, and that, and it's a pretty handy effort. You know, your second year, especially with Ruck roving at Richmond in, and establish yourself, you made the decision to come back. Richmond were desperate to keep you. Yeah, I, 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 you've got you've got fantastic factual information, and I guess when you put it in a uh, you know, in a uh, synoptic uh, explanation like that, where it seems so simple, it, it, you would say, why in God's name couldn't you have ever come back to Adelaide? And sometimes I ask the question and sometimes I regret it. Sometimes I say, well, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know, we we know the story of Peter Motley. We know, you know, we, yeah. we, we, we all think that things might have been different if we'd made other decisions, but we'll never know. But... Look, yeah, I was incredibly fortunate to to get drafted or or picked by Richmond in, when they were winning premierships. I was incredibly fortunate to uh, be, you know, picked in a Victorian state team prior to State of Origin ahead of, you know, Sproul, uh, uh, Bartlett, you know, Sheedy, okay. uh, Clay, Richardson, I mean, all of those guys. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Uh, Tom was, Tommy Hafey was the coach. and But I've got to say that, you know, I, I won't uh, let my ego get the better of me here, but in my second year, I, I, I understood what was required. Uh, I was a kid when I went there. I was only 19, and but I got it. And uh, I've got to say that, if you ever recognise the peak of your time in football, I think at 21, 22, I, I really got it. And um, I had an extraordinary um, mentor in Francis Burke who gave me a, a – was a mentor and gave me a, a philosophy for life, which was simply make no excuses. There are no excuses. And I treated that advice uh, – I took it to the field, I took it to life, I took it to everything. And – uh, it's been my, uh, you know, the, a fabric of everything I've done. But I was, uh, look, uh, Rob, I was incredibly fortunate to have all of those experiences at such a young age. And um, and I've got to say, you know, even running out for Victoria, I looked at the jumper before I, I put it on, and I thought, you got to be kidding me! <laughs> God's name, at 20 years of age, am I putting this thing on? But anyway, it happened, and I'm ever, forever grateful. Was it uh, at your time at Richmond that you struck up a friendship with Neil Barm? Absolutely, he was a uh, uh, he was the sexiest thing going around in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was huge. I mean, you know, everyone wanted everyone wanted a piece of Barmy, and he was long hair and had the best looking girl in the town and all that sort of stuff going on. And we all thought, God, you know, that, that, we're lucky to know him. But he was a bit of a larrikin and uh, he loved the beer and we, in those days, got away with having a social life as well as a football life and Barmy was, a, uh, he was the head of the pack and uh, we became uh, in- incredibly close, you know, I think, for chemistry, a bit of him looking after me and um, 
Uh, the first game we played was at uh, my game was at Fitzroy. My first game. They'd won the year before in '74, and a fight broke out, and I was playing the forward pocket, and Barmy was resting at full forward, and Sheedy got hit over the head by a bloody umbrella from a spectator or something, and the whole thing just went berserk. And I, I sort of thought I'd better run down. And Barmy said, "Hey, hey, where are you going?" I said, oh, "I said, nah, 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 nah." He said, let, let, "Just let's let's stay here. It, uh, it, there's plenty of action." There's plenty of action going on here when it uh, when it stops, and we might get the benefit of it. Anyway, it, free kick, us ball in the square. Barmy takes a catch, kicks a goal. He said, <laughs> "See what I told you, champ." <laughs> and a, a bit of irony there with your friendship with Barmy, because if that hadn't happened, you may have ended up, and you can explain to people why you may have ended up playing for Port Adelaide. Absolutely. I got recruited by Richmond and playing, when I was playing for West Torrens and I flew over and back every week and it was like a James Bond film. I, I flew over to Melbourne and then I got helicopters of the Yarra and went to bloody uh, Punt Road by taxi. It was quite incredible to get there, because, but I had lectures and things, so they were sympathetic to that. And that's how I started my career at Richmond. Um, and, um, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, really uh, spectacular how Richmond were prepared to let me study in Adelaide uh, and do all that sort of stuff. So the first year we had finals and West Torrens weren't in the finals, but remember I was flying over and back. So I was training with Torrens. I had nowhere to train and I was still at uh, university. So uh, Port Adelaide, who uh, I knew Jack and I knew Russell Evert really well, and uh, Richmond approached him and said, can he train there? And I did. And so consequently, I developed an incredibly good relationship with those guys for that final series. Go forward three or four years. I'm back in Adelaide. I've gone from West Torrens to, to Nord. Uh, Jack Jack hears and I'm thinking, Jack Carl hears and I'm thinking of going to uh, uh, Nord and puts his hand out. And, and uh, John Carl is a very, very personal man. He's a very charismatic guy, and I have no doubt why he was a champion coach. He 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 put people together. He he solidified it with his, his management, his character, all those sorts of things. But the, you know, the one thing you had in common with, with the great coaches at the time, like Parassi and and Hafey and Curley, was that they they actually demanded that the top eight or nine players drive the whole scene. So, you know, if you're a senior player at Richmond or Port or Nord, whatever, that, that was how it worked. You, you drove the club and these coaches were really good, like, uh, uh, you know, Carl and all that. So Jack had a crack at me, uh, but it was really my relationship with Barmy. In the end, I said, no, nah, I've got to go to Nord. And getting you over the line to get to uh, the parade was interesting. Wally, Wally Miller had to be convinced. Look... There's no doubt, you know, as a young man, I was probably a bit full of myself and believed all the press. And when I came back from Richmond, there was a lot of hype and all the rocky stuff. And, you know, it was a bit a bit silly. But, look, you know, as a 21 to 3-year-old or whatever I was, you know, I'd probably forgive myself for being a bit caught up in it all. And, and that didn't sit well with Nord because Nord was more of a conservative club. And, and, it, and, and, and I think if, if, if I was really honest... I probably became a bit of an individual rather than a team player. And I think that was a sort of a consequence of all the attention I got. And, and I'll probably look back on that and say, look, I should have been smarter. But notwithstanding that, um, Rich, you know, Norwood 
really wouldn't tolerate that. And uh, uh, yeah, Wally said, he, you know, we, we like, we want you, but we don't want Rocky. And I said, well, that's your problem. That's your problem, not mine, because I can't stop it. And today we still laugh about it. So obviously you moved to Norwood in uh, 1982 and tasted a bit of success, success quite quite quickly. Well, we did, and it was you know, it was just you know it quite incredible to say that you know the reasons I left West Torrens, I was captain, all that sort of stuff, and people are still wearing young kids are still wearing your duffel coat. I mean, that's a really emotional thing. People would not probably maybe appreciate how difficult it is when you're captain for club, and you've got all this um, you know admiration from young people to what appears to be turn your back on them. It was a really big deal. And right up to the last minute, I, I wasn't going to, I probably wouldn't have gone if it wasn't for Barmy ringing me and saying, look, you know, you sort of have to be a bit selfish about your life and, and, and what you achieve in life. And you can be loyal and uh, stay with the Eagles and do all that. And we'd appreciate that. And we wouldn't have any regrets, but, I think you've really got to examine your own mind and your, you know, the identity you want in football and what you want to be remembered for, and that is to be the best you can be in the possible, the best possible environment. And I had to make decisions about those things, which were a little bit political and weren't easy, but I did and went. And yeah, we, first year, you know, I got absolutely, uh, you know, indemnified. I guess my decision to leave in a sense that it was endorsed by a premiership. And like we came home with a train in '82. It, you know, like all the th- comments made and, you know, we said at Nord, we underachieved and all that. I admit, Neville, I've probably softened that stance over the years. You think, 82, the qualifying final against Sturt, we were down in the last quarter. The second semi against Port, Port hit the front in the last quarter. And then in 84, with well, the history makers think, we were gone against Centrals in the first semi and managed to get out of jail in the last five minutes. So I've probably eased off a bit on that. And I think we, we probably don't, show enough respect to how bloody strong the competition was overall. Oh, it was incredible. Uh, it's easy to look at the AFL now and see us as a secondary competition, but when I went to Richmond, it, there was really, you know, it was an equitable competition between yes. Melbourne, Tasmania, us, and, and SNFL and Waffle. And, you know, I, I went, but I came back. And, you know, everyone forgets – well, sorry. When I offer a regret about coming back, great mates of mine like Barmy and, and uh, Barry Richardson and others who are Francis Burke say, well, you know, quite frankly, there was not much between us. I mean, yeah. you know, we were beating them at State of Origin and doing all that sort of stuff. So it's easy, but right – it was easy to make those things now. But right now, to make that, uh, you know, comparison is unfair. What I regret now about the whole Australian – situation with football is that because we're not in the AFL, all of us other than the AFL are worthless and we're not part of the deal. Well, well, it is garbage. And I say, you know, I've got mates in the AFL, as you know, rule book, and I've said to them as recently as five months ago, what about, why why did you, what what about if we, why did we not, do our own competition. Why didn't we just say, well, yes. we'll have a national league and we'll start with Norwood, Port, Sturt, uh, you know, whoever. Why do you guys get to do it? Yes. And no one's got an answer for that. No. Who, who made them the owners of football in Australia? So all of a sudden, 
you know, South Melbourne, Fitzroy, Brisbane, da 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 Collingwood, da, da. all of a sudden they're the only clubs that actually matter. And all of the other look, – look at Norwood. Look at its history. Look at this fantastic bloody brand. And all of a sudden, you know, we, what are we? We're an amateur league club playing in yeah. – you know, I, I just – I hate that. Yeah, likewise. And I've got – the the last thing I want to do in football, and I've never said, I've probably even never said this to our president, is I want to see Nord in national competition, because it doesn't deserve to have its brand disrespected by everybody and and its players. Yeah, you know, I, I get that, Neville, but I, I'm still a little bit. I, I admit, I wish the AFL had never started. Personally, I loved when the SNFL was the big deal here. So I'm showing. You know, I'm showing my age and old-fashioned side mm. of things mm. and that. But I love being a part of Nord Football Club. You know, being a Nord tonight, you know, being with Vanner and Paul Delio and all that, you're actually a person where at an AFL level, you're just a number. You're member number mm. 3,817. Yeah. Where at Nord, I'm part of Nord Football Club. Where, for me, that's still big. But, yeah, so I see where that's coming. You know, we're coming look, from Robert, as well. You're right. I, I, look, let me be very clear. The Nord Footy Club, run by Paul and Fanta, we have got it right from the top down. We are cherry ripe. We have no dickheads in our club. We're heavily managed. We've got, a, we've got an incredibly good coach. We've got great coaches. Our players are uh, respectful and good people and all that sort of stuff. So guess what? You win a flag. Well, there's no, there's no, there's no, you know, I don't, I'm not surprised at that because we've got everything right. And it doesn't happen often. But I think in relation to what you're saying, um, you know, we as a club probably have a penchant to say, well, you know, we, we deserve with our brand and everything to be playing at the highest level of competition and that's not happening for us. So it, it, it's going to be a lagging and uh, I think endemic problem in our, in our, in our club, in our personalities that we will want that to happen because we want to be in the best competition. But having said all of that, we are we are the bet we have proved last year with respect to the other clubs, we were the best in that competition, and and that's the best we can do. It's uh, uh but you know I I respect what you were saying, Rulebook. I probably don't think much differently. Yeah. Now back to your own career, Neville. People out there. The professionalism of Neville Roberts and Nord Football Club and that, but the professionalism of Neville Roberts and Michael H together. Now, Pete, what used to happen, they'd end up training and they would kick boot the crap out of the ball the distance we are apart now. Mm-hmm. And in the hands, and it would be the, the one who to drop first ball had to buy lunch the next day the next day or you know, whenever they were. Yep. I admit, I stayed at Nord one night and I was the only person still there, for 40 minutes, they were over a 1,000, and they were booting the living daylights out of it, each other. And it showed where Neville was so good in front of, in front of his body and yep. the hands. Yep. Where to, and I love the bit too, neither ACL Neville or on Facebook, so something will come up and I'll send it through to the two of them. And then I just sit back and piss myself laughing the rest of the day at the game of tennis at the bullshit back and forth between the two of them. And I just sit in the middle and get the benefit of the entertainment. Yep. So, yeah. Well, I suppose, does that uh, correlate with kicking 117 goals in 1983? 
Oh, look, I think I, I think it's a rule of 10,000, guys. I mean, you know, I'm helping Twig a little bit with some of our kids. Yeah, and, no, I was going to come back uh, to that. Yes. Yeah, but I think, you know, one of, one of the things I tell them is, you know, we, 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 we get uh, the process and the routine right and all that sort of stuff, but it's fine to sort of have a, a, a process or have a plan, but or in relation to kicking goals and doing other things or catching balls. But if you don't actually practice it, you know, ten, you know, the rule of 10,000 is basically that you've got to do something 10,000 times before it become innate, become part of your personality, so you don't actually think about it. The reality is that um, back then, that little program I did with Aishi, I did at Richmond with Francis Burke, who's a, just one of the great immortals of the Richmond Footy yeah. Club, and we used to do that after night at, at uh, Punt Road, and it's smash, smash, smash. And I live with Francis, so you know yeah. I had to pay a price at home, wash the dishes, or do whatever I had to do with him and Kerry. But the reality of it is that it was just watch the ball, hit your hands, and if I got one message for kids, it's always you know watch the ball, hit your hands, and the kids think oh, they sort of look at it, but they don't look at it watch it like you can't look at anything else. And that was what that taught us. And Asia and I did that. We had another competition where we kicked the ball 40 metres and we had to step more than a metre either side. We, you know, we had this bet. I think Asia owes me about $400,000. He'll never pay it. little prick. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's that one. I do it as well. With coaching, I've done kids Cricket coaching clinic this week. What do you catch? What do you catch the ball with? And of course, the kids all answer. Answer well in your hands. Say no. Come on, keep going with your eyes. Yeah, and keep. And then I make them close their eyes. We'll catch the ball without yeah, the eye. And it awesome. is yeah. watch the ball is the most common. It's the three words we use the most. Whatever coaching we're doing. I, I remember my time out at Nord. They'd make you read the uh, gauge of the, uh, the 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 ball basically into your hands, which was always a good one for me. And Neville, your yeah. involvement this year back at the parade. So it came. Came in involved with the forwards probably about halfway through the year, roughly. Oh, a bit later, but yeah. probably sixty uh, percent. Um. Yep. And so Neville was watching games, reviewing, trying to get get our forward movement a bit better, which uh, and that side of things. Now, Neville, were you thinking exactly the same thing I was when Ben Jarvis, who you'd been doing a fair bit of work with, when Jarvo had the kick fifty odd meters out? My first thought was, thank. Leave the language out. He's this far out because it'll make him kick through it. And I'm thinking, just do what Neville has been working with. <laughs> was in my thought process as he came in, and of course, 50 metres out, he launched Jeez, it. He nailed it, didn't he? And if he'd been uh, 30 out, different story, maybe. I, I wouldn't have been backing him with my wallet, you know, yep. sort of thing. And and I, I as he kicked that, and it's gone through. I will say, you bloody beauty, Neville Roberts. I did think of that at the time. Well. I reckon you shift your focus back to Ben, and he is a really tough head. He he's a good kid. He's well. He's he's essentially really. Uh, he's a tough minded. He's a tough minded young fellow, and he's um, essentially a very um, you know skilled forward with he can kick goals from basically anywhere. So my my job really was to sort of try and get a process that sort of protected him under pressure when you, you know, the, the, the thing about a process or a routine is to 
take away the pressure of the man on the mark, the white noise that's yeah. going on around you, yeah. the, you know, can I kick it, can I kick Having a process, it means you go into another room, do all that sort of stuff. Anyway, Ben got that quickly and that essentially was my role. But you can't, you know, it's no merit to me. It's really a merit to the kids who look at it and say, well, I, I get what Neville's trying to tell us and I'll, I'll, I'll take it on board and hopefully it makes me better. I say to people now, and it's, it's as easy for us now to say, shit, you know, you don't want Ben Jarvis's kick, but if you get it, meaning you don't want that last kick in a grand final, but if you if you get it, you don't want to not be able to kick it. You don't. You need to have the skills and you need to have the, um, you know, the process to do it. So, look, the reality of it was that um, he was uh, up to the challenge and probably would have been anyway, but. Um, well, I think one of the great things with Ben is that he he doesn't suffer pressure too badly, and I think giving him a process gave him a little bit more protection from that sort of pressure. And uh, but having said all of that, mate, it's still a huge kick, isn't it? Outside fifty, yep. you know, eight points down or whatever we were, whatever it was, and uh, you know, what an incredible what an incredible get for a young man. I mean, and. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. There's a there's a young kid at Norwood called Luke Sermon, and yes. uh, he's a good man. And he had he had a good final in a lot of ways, but missed three goals. Yep. So within two weeks of that final being finished, he rang me and said, "You know, I'd like to try and straighten up and do this." So we met regularly, two or three times. We took twice a week for several times before now, and. He's, I'm really happy with how he's going, but I, I, he did say, if we hadn't have won that grand final, I, I wouldn't have slept for a thousand years. And because he missed goals, probably that he thought he should have kicked. Interesting, isn't it? He's a complex. He's he really means well, Luke. He's a, he's a complex kid. Um, yeah, yeah look, show, just, show initiative. Like yeah, that's it fantastic. is. I, I'm I think that's great. I, I, I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah likewise. Righto, Neville, we'll keep, we'll keep, keep going because there's a couple of things we've got to mention. Obviously, the history-making premiership in 84, captain in the club, and then I'll, I'll then back, you know, I thought you were treated disgracefully as coach. That losing final turned up, got back to Nord. I ended up spending most of that night with you, and I thought it was disgraceful that you were nearly ostracised, I felt, that night. And I may have told a few people that night as well. Uh, and that, so that probably wasn't the best chapter at Nord, but the 84, and then captain in the club. Of course, captain South Australia. Go for it, Rock. Oh, yeah. Look, I think captain South Australia was an incredible honour and it's, it's, it's a bit personal, it's a bit private and all that, but, um, you know, it was a fantastic evolution and part of my footy career and playing State of Origin was extraordinary. You know, they were incredible games at Adelaide, as we all remember. You know, they packed out and they were what they were and, uh, um, you know, that... It remains a highlight. I think, um, you know, the uh, coaching Nord was, again, and, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible honour to coach a club with that sort of brand. And, and and what followed from it was probably more a management issue. And I wouldn't hold back from saying that we weren't well managed then. And there were people who had... Uh, the one thing about footy clubs that never ceases to amaze me is when they're not going well, it's generally because presidents and others 
they're barrackers, they're footy pervs, they want to hang around with blokes who have got profiles and they want to barrack for the club. They, you know, we've got we've got people involved in our club now as serious management people, serious administrators. They don't barrack, they don't wear club uh, blazers to go to lunches, you know. It's it's a more serious environment than that. And I think, you know, back when I was coaching, we suffered, um, essentially suffered fools. And, um, you know, I, I, I probably should have been smarter. I've been in business all my life. I put, should have put myself in that environment. I got what I deserved um, in the sense that I, you know, put myself in that environment with people who I probably shouldn't have trusted to do what they said they were going to do. Um, I'm not saying that I was better than I was as a coach. I mean, we weren't a complete failure. Uh, but, you know, it, you know, as you know, and I think, you know, without defending myself, you go from not coaching to coaching. You, you need three years to learn what's going on. I mean, the first the first time a play, a play, an ex-player or a, or a potential coach steps into the box to coach, he has no idea what he's doing. He looks at the game and says, holy shit, I'm looking at this as a player. It takes a year before you look at as a coach. And, uh, you know, then I, in my second year, I was lucky enough to be able to convince Michael Taylor to come back to the club, yeah. which was fantastic because he is just the greatest man and I love him and a great mate. And uh, he helped me immensely and taught me to think as a coach because he'd been with the Crows and all that sort of So, you know, look, lessons in life, rule book, you know, yeah. we move past them and I say, well, I was probably in the wrong place at the wrong time, but you know, I'm I'm lucky. I, you know, it will always be recorded that I coached in a Wood Footy Club, and what a great honour that was. Now, Pete, there was one funny bit with Rock in terms of, or a couple, but uh, I walked walked in and walked upstairs at the Cathedral, the Richmond game, and it turns out yeah. Neville's being interviewed by Dale Waitman upstairs, <laughs> and I walk in and Neville sees me walking. He's gone. Shit! I better not make any mistakes in my career now because this prick's better than I am. And there's all these people staring at who the hell? What the hell's just happened? And, uh, and then Neville gets to the Nord bit. He said at Nord, and I'm yelling out, "Take your time, Rock. This could go for half an hour at least." And yep. these these Richmond people are staring at who in the f and hell is this idiot? Yeah, sort of thing. And of course, greatly Jeff Wilson and I always greatly appreciate uh, you for the room that night at Richmond and uh, have. Those couple of nights in uh, over an eighty-three were an, very edu- welcome. Were an very education welcome. in life, to say the least. Those couple of weeks. Right? Oh well, it's uh, you know uh, goes on tour, stays on tour. Absolutely, and uh, you're very welcome, mate. I'll just go back very, very quickly. My favourite grand final, obviously, was the history-making eighty-four grand final, mate. Port, Ad- Port Adelaide, the arch enemy, so to speak. Uh, yeah. What are your memories of that day? Oh, incredibly, uh, we, we, we managed to just uh, make it by us, make the finals by the skin of our teeth. So from about three games out of four games out of the uh, uh, final series, we were playing grand finals every week. And then obviously through the final series, every game was a knockout game. So we became tougher and tougher and tougher. But the one thing that I think that probably eludes everybody is we didn't have any injuries. I mean, I don't know how you play so many hard games. I think we had one injury. It might have yeah. been. Um, we were very settled. Where we were. I mean, it was Vardas or someone had an injury. Oh, Rowan, anyway, no, got Rowan Helia got injured. Oh, Helia, that's and right. Jarvo, and uh, Jarvo came back. That's that's right. So incredibly lucky to have that run. But 
I think as as the the games progressed and we went through, you know, Glenelg or South, Glenelg, whatever we South did. South Central uh, Glenelg was the order. Yeah, so they were all close. They were all tough. They were all on nail biters. And so I think what happened was that they was a bit like, you know, swimming five laps today, 10 laps next week, 30 laps a week after. We just became stronger, 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 stronger. And we handled pressure better, 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 better. And when it came to the final, we're eight points down going last quarter. We never knew. We had absolutely no doubt we're going to win it. We, I, just, I could just often think about it. I think, why in God's name were we so confident we're going to win this eight points down? That's two goals. We're going to, we're going to kick two before they do anything. But it was just almost in our heads that we, we own this. We're going to take this. This belongs to us. The centrals, the centrals first semi, like we were nearly three goals mm. down with five or so minutes to oh, go. I know. Um, that re- was reminiscent of this year's final. Yeah, grand it was. Final. There were certain similarities mm. there. Yeah. And then the prelim yeah. final, you know, let's be honest, I'm not exactly upset. Glenelg with two goals, 14 at one stage, so that didn't hurt. So, yeah. And then the grand final against Port is still, I think, the 73, Glenelg North, and the 84 are the, are two, the two grand big ones. finals yep. for me. You know, okay, 84 is a biased Nord man, yes, but I still think they're the two great. And look, I have 1980 up there where Nord, we nearly grabbed grabbed the victory where we were underdog against a great port side as another great grand final. So I'm showing there that probably a little bit, at least a bit of balance there that Port did win that game. But 73 and 84 are the two for me. Certainly consistent through those five or six years through 78 to 84. I think I think if you look back on that uh, period between eighty and eighty six, you know, I, I said to Twig the other night in front of the other coaches, I think it's a bit embarrassing that we didn't actually do better in that window that, than just two flags. I mean, we yeah, were, but as I said, let's let's do remember that eighty two, the qualifying against Sturt, we were down down by fifteen points in the last quarter. So I I, I did used to have that thought process, and then I thought. And I've actually spoken about that with Barmy in terms of going, well, hang on, 82, 84, there's times we we certainly weren't going to win in those two. So I, I just think we probably, Nord, you know, we're a proud club, we go at ourselves, but I show more respect now overall to the competition. I think how good North Adelaide and Glenelg were in that era as well. Oh, they were, they were very and West Adelaide in 83 were the best forward line overall. Yeah, they mm. were an incredible side in '83. Mm. Well, that we uh, we lost to them in a prelim and they won it. But yeah. uh, no, we lost the second know, semi. It's, it's, look, as you know, it's easy to go back and be retrospective, and uh, we're all smarter in uh, hindsight. But uh, you're only as good as the you know the performance on the day. And um, you know, I was very very pleased having made the move north. That you know, we picked up a couple of flags in the last part of my career. And you were very emotional, grand final day. It was a pleasure. You're not great at looking for a camera afterwards, Rock. That wasn't your strength. But, yes, nah, look, we're still celebrating as far as I'm concerned at Nord, and as Nord at the moment. Greatly appreciated too, Neville, to, uh, and that for tonight. And, obviously, greatly appreciate your friendship over the years, um, et cetera. Oh, look, mate, you, you're very welcome. And you're a great Nord man and you, you make a lot of contributions there. Uh, gratuitously and generously, and it's, it's greatly appreciated. So uh, um, we'll catch up soon, no doubt. Thanks, mate. Thank you, Rocky. Thank you for joining us tonight, mate. You're welcome. All the best. Bye, boys.
We've just been speaking to Rocky Roberts. Mate, I have to change your name from the rule book to the encyclopedia. You are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to stats. Yeah, it's not. I wish I'd been a bit better at schoolwork and the stats, but yeah, I, I admit, don't lose too many footy arguments or bets, mate. Rocky was fantastic in talking about his his time over in Victoria with Richmond uh, at the Richmond Footy Club. His um, great mate in uh, Neil Balm, who sort of got him over to Norwood to... Uh, Gee, I didn't realise he could have ended up at Port Adelaide. That's an amazing story. Yes, it's probably not that well known, that one. So, yeah, thought it was time that we let that one out of the bag. All right, mate, we'll, we'll move on now. We've got David Stevens coming up. We might just squeeze him in now. We're following up on Sean Tasker's chat last week about Neuroflex, and we're lucky enough to have David Stevens, Head of Research for, for Neuroflex, on the line. Thanks, mate, for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Welcome, David. Mate, brain, in, brain injuries at the moment, obviously such a big topic to do with concussion and everything like that. And, and as we've seen throughout the um, uh, social media posts lately, that a lot of clubs are getting on board with Neuroflex. Uh, look, that's, that's correct. A lot of clubs and um, a lot of different sports, uh, ranging from sort of rugby union, rugby league, AFL, uh, all the way up to we uh, we are allowed to talk about this now, but we were recently used at, uh, at the FIFA World Cup. Um, for their sort of uh, post-match concussion assessments. I should stipulate when the player came off the field. Yeah, um, obviously soccer or the world game is, is quite quite big, but uh, being here locally in South Australia, obviously Aussie rules and SANFL is quite big, and I see mm-hmm. you've got a few SANFL clubs that you've been working with. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, well, this year uh, we, we, we did a lot of work with... Um, with Norwood, Sturt, uh, North Adelaide, but as well, um, importantly, the the local teams as well. So the the Gummeracka Magpies, um, Adelaide University, um, and even the Saint Bernard's Old Collegians uh, in Victoria, they they essentially uh, trialled uh, the utilisation of the Neuroflex to help improve their their concussion sort of protocols and. Um, you know, the, the results were very well received and they were presented at this year's Concussion Sport Conference in Amsterdam. Fantastic. Yeah, I certainly know that Nord, with Nord, with uh, uh, Nick Pedro, unfortunately, having to retire from just persistent headaches, but mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. certainly know that the, the research was used a fair bit with the, the decisions with Nick and he had to stop work for a while as well. It's been, uh, you know, he's a, he's a really nice guy and just, yeah, mm-hmm. pretty... You know, more importantly, it was life issues coming into play. Like he shouted that he can't play footy, but there's more important things in life than footy. Yeah, look, that's correct. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sort of comment on on individual uh, sort of players. Yep, yep. But um, certainly, there there does seem to be a growing awareness amongst you know a lot of athletes, not just AFL, but but in all sports of of, I guess, the long-term dangers of trying to play through these injuries. And it is it is good that there has been this shift away from sort of, you know, toughing it out and getting yes. back on the field to, you know, we're going to make sure we look after ourselves. And if it means, you know, the, a lot of the players sort of accept it, they have to have another week or two on the sideline, then... Uh, but if that means they can then actually get back to 100% and take the field and be at 100% on the field, then that that's worth it. Um, so it's been good to see that shift in sports. So just going back a little bit, uh, mate, just 
talking about your um, um, expertise in this um, uh, field, uh, I've got here on my notes that you uh, did a PhD at Sydney University. Uh, that's correct. Um, so my PhD was in uh, the, the the scientific way to describe it as cerebrovascular physiology, but um, I looked at exercise-induced changes in brain blood flow and how that affected cognitive uh, and motor performance. Um, and so that's sort of laid the foundations for my interest in all things sort of neurology and neurology-related. Um, through a, a weird turn of events, I ended up falling into uh, sleep research, and that's what brought me to Adelaide. I, I worked at um, Flinders University at the uh, Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health, and one of my main research areas was uh, sleep and acquired brain injury. And one of my projects that was uh, supported by the Flinders Foundation and by the Breakthrough Mental Health Foundation was looking at uh, the the interplay between sleep and concussion. And what really really struck me about concussion was just the the lack of any sort of diagnostic tool for it. Um, The the SCAT-5, as it is, I mean, it's a... It's a glorified questionnaire. Now, to be fair to the field, um, prior to the advent of technology, that really was the best we had. Um, So so concussions are a a, a metabolic injury, really. Um, You do have cellular level damage to what we call the axons in your brain, and that's what sort of connects all the different parts of your brain. Uh, but you can't see these on any form of neuroimaging. Um, And so, you know, as I said, we we just, uh, prior to the the advent of technology like Neuroflex, we just didn't have that ability to objectively measure concussions. Um, But thankfully, you know, we do have that ability now, and it certainly has been embraced uh, by sports like AFL. Taking it through uh, what would be a, a standard test uh, 10 years ago versus what you guys are doing at Neuroflex? So, look, um, 10 years ago and even even before that, so the, the original sports concussion assessment tool was developed in 2002. Um, it would examine a range of symptoms, you know, any headaches, any dizziness, um, any memory problems. It would then do very sort of basic memory, you know, word recall, uh, you know, number recall, months of the year backwards. And then it would then do, again, sort of basic basic balance tests, which give you a sort of a gross idea of just the level of neurological impairment uh, and also um, very, very basic, what we call vestibular ocular motor screening. And so, look, what, what the Neuroflex actually is, is it's a, a very advanced... Uh, objective uh, assessment of the vestibular ocular motor screening, and that's that's the old follow my finger um, with with your so yeah follow my finger with your eyes assessment, uh, and we look at how well the the head and brain the head and eyes and even the neck work together to do these tests. Now we know through MRI studies done uh, out of Canada that the neuroflex that the, the different parts of the brain are activated during the neuroflex and. We, we show that with what we call functional MRI. It's where you show sort of differing patterns of blood flow, which shows that the, the part of the brain is, is activated. 
And so what what it but importantly what the Neuroflex does is it just gives these objective numbers that specialists like sports physicians and neurological physiotherapists can actually then utilize to quantify where an impairment is and the severity of that impairment. And then moving forward, it then you can then use that to track how well that person is recovering from the injury. And so we can then assess with a, with a much higher degree of accuracy whether they have returned to essentially their pre-injury neurological performance. And yeah. that's where the Neuroflex sort of comes in and that's where the Neuroflex is adding and, and improving the concussion management protocols for a lot of sports. David, do you see the length of time, um, you know, the day... AFL-wise, you know, the minimum gap, so basically missing one game with the 10 days. Do you see that lengthening? I see that becoming individualised. So, look, um, from from the work that we did within the Sample and the community uh, footy clubs, there were certainly players who, by the 12-day at the end of symptoms... Actually, that's the one thing I should actually clarify because that's the one thing we did encounter this year is there was... Slight confusion as to the 12-day rule. Yes. Now, the, the current protocol is that it's you need to have 12 days. It's a graded return to play, but that starts after the end of symptoms. Yes. And so if your symptoms last for a week, then you'll, you'll be off for at least 19 days. And that's um, why it should be. I, think, I don't think that seemed like it's still a bit of a, a mixed area where it's probably got to be, yes, exactly that. Symptoms, yeah, and so, yeah. but to be fair, though, you do rely on the honesty, honesty of players. Yes. Yeah. And look, I mean, you know, if you're an 18 year old who's about to make it in the league team, or similarly, if you're a 30 year old who's worried about that 18 year old getting into the league team, I mean, unfortunately, there are, you know, I did just mention that it's it's refreshing to see players take this seriously, but at the same time. You know, if you really love the sport, yes. unfortunately, there are some people who are going to not be honest. And look, I don't hold that against them. We're all human. But um, but then again, this is where, you know, the Neuroflex comes in because we have this objective data that, uh, you know, you can't, you can't lie. You can't cheat that. Um, and so... Yeah, look, and getting back into your question in regards to do I see the the recovery time, for the want of a better term, extending out, as I said, I think it's going to be individualised because there were certainly people who by the 12-day mark, they were fine. They could go back on the field symptomatically, they were fine. According to the Neuroflex, they were fine. They could go back on the field. But we, we certainly saw in about half of our participants that they weren't quite back at that baseline level. And that they, you know, and, and indeed, you know, we, we, we pass that information on to the team doctors. And in instances, players were held back for an extra week. And look, concerningly, in some instances, we actually saw that there was a continued uh, worsening of results. Um, and, you know, I, that that's important because what it then also means is that you can then send that player off for additional clinical assessments just to make sure there's nothing else sort of underlying that may be causing that as well. And so, yeah, this, you know, the, the Neuroflex and the improvement in technologies, 
will mean that the, the time away from sport will actually become very individualised. And to me, that's the way it should be. It's it's like yeah, if you've done a, a shoulder yeah. or a, yeah. or an ACL, it's not like everyone's told three weeks you're back kicking. Everyone has a different return to play time. Yeah. And, yeah, that's that's what it should be for concussion. So for our customer, uh, sorry, customers, for our listeners who um, <laughs> who uh, don't know how this is administered, the um, it's like an ocular device that uh, is almost like a virtual reality. Um, the players are taking that obviously now uh, at the beginning of the season. Are they able to uh-huh. administer this uh, during game time, or, or does it have to be done in a clinic, or can it be done in the club yeah. rooms? So look, you're, you're right. It actually is a virtual reality system um and look to do these tests beforehand you needed an immersive room in a in a hospital for example and so the the accessibility was very very difficult and so the virtual reality allowed just increases the accessibility to everyone uh you are correct that we are we do baseline measures on all the players in the pre-season obviously taking into account any sort of concussion history just in case we see any sort of errant values during the the baseline. And then, look, um, you know, what we were doing within AFL is that if a player came off with a suspected concussion, we would actually do the test 48 hours after that incident. Um, That just meant that, for example, there was any lacerations and that was actually quite a common injury we are finding that could be dealt with on the day. You do get delayed symptoms as well. So some people, they might have a very nasty you know, head knock, uh, but they might genuinely feel fine. But then 24 hours later, the headaches start and the dizziness starts. And so, you know, we, we did leave it until the 48 hours post-incident to do the first test. Uh, but then, as I sort of alluded to, almost the more important test was that was that test when they claim to be, you know, 12 days post-symptomatic. And so we could, you know, examine to ensure that they were physiologically returned to baseline. Look, other sports, just quickly, I know Rugby Union, they have actually been doing it essentially on the sideline, but that's because their sport allows that. They have what's called the HIA or the Head Injury Assessments 1, 2 and 3. And the HIA 1 is a sideline, it's really a change room assessment, but uh, you do have a 15-minute window to clear a player to go back onto the field. Um, and so we've worked in with rugby to, to allow good neuroflex to be done in that in that regard. But with AFL, a lot of the times now, they are a lot of teams are just erring on the side of caution and they'll just bring a player off for the game. And so yeah. it means we're not sort of rushed to do that test. Um, does uh, does this test obviously have to happen um, prior to uh, concussion or can it be run with people who have had concussions in the past? Look, we, we can run it with people who have had concussions in the past. We just uh, we do take that into account uh, so that, as I said, if, if we do show any sort of any large impairments or any obvious impairments during that baseline assessment, we at least have a, essentially a plausible explanation for why that impairment was occurred. Uh, and But then importantly as well, it, it then can allow for that impairment to be addressed by specialists such as neurophysiotherapists who can, in a lot of cases, can, can help and, and essentially 
I wouldn't want to say the word cure, but it's, uh, you know, treat uh, any impairments that, that, that are shown on the Neuroflex. So would this be rolled out in, in normal doctor's surgeries going forward or is it still just in its infancy with sport at the moment? No, look, I would see this being rolled out, and I've mentioned neurophysiotherapists, and the reason why I've said them is that they specialise particularly in a lot of vestibular and ocular uh, physiology. And so the, the neurophysiotherapists, and, and look, I mean, for your listeners, we're, we're currently working with advanced neuro rehab and with um, only physiotherapy, both of whom have uh, large neurological, sorry, have, have many neurological physiotherapists. They specialise in, in the, the, the eyes, the neck, the vestibular, the balance system. And so they're the ones who are, are most ideal to administer the Neuroflex, and indeed they already are. Uh, and so, yeah, what we would envision is that a doctor, for example, a GP or, or one of the sports doctors would initially see the, the, the patient and just ensure that there's no other sort of problems, for example, you know, a fracture to the skull, um, for example, uh, but then they would refer and work in with these neurological physiotherapists and even orthoptists to uh, to essentially help the player you know, recover uh, from the concussion and then to manage the concussion as opposed to what happens now, which really is you just kind of wait 12 days and if the player says they're right to go, then you sort of got to trust them. Yep. Yeah. Well, mate, uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight and giving us some background on the uh, Neuroflex uh, that we talked about with Sean Tasker last week. Uh, any exciting uh, news coming up? You've just mentioned that the FIFA World Cup. Uh, is there any other yeah. sporting leagues that you might be getting into? Uh, look, we we are being utilised by the Leicester City Football Club and the Premier League, uh, and so that's that's exciting. Um, and, and look, I, I can't name them at the moment, but certainly two high-profile NRL teams, uh, one in Queensland, one in New South Wales, and and a large uh, UCI cycling team who will be here for the Tour Down Under. Uh, they're starting to – they'll be utilising us, but they've just asked us not to say anything at the moment, I think, because they totally literally just want a um, – I think they just want the competitive edge, um, which, again, in professional sports, I sort of uh, I sort of I can understand. But um, – you know, look, it's it's been it's been great, and it's been really encouraging to see the change in attitudes to concussion, and the um, I guess the willingness to adopt and and to utilise you know the Neuroflex and to help improve concussion management in sports. And knowing really knowing Task, I'm sure he's vo- he's volunteering that uh, he'll go and lead the Leicester City side of things. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I've already beaten him to it. Yes. So uh, well played. <laughs> yes. All right, thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you, David, and we'll keep an eye out for anything with Neuroflex. No, thank you. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate, and subscribe. Before we go on to Happy Days, we thank David for spending some time with us talking about Neuroflex there. We did follow up, obviously, after speaking with Sean Tasker last week, and he's given us a really good insight into what they're doing. Oh, it's such an important topic and something that we all need to be educated on, um, and I think we're gradually getting there. It's, it's sort of like a, a slow burn in terms of learning the information, but we listening, learning the experts there, 
and it was a great insight. I was most interested in, obviously, what they're doing behind the scenes for someone who has had concussive issues in the past. I'll take my own example as a little bit of a point in that as a footballer, you know, I'm not very big in stature and and as a kid I was playing A-grade footy at 14, 15, 16 years of age, belted from pillar to post. Um, And, you know, it was interesting to see that they can actually sort of use the Neuroflex system to recommend you for further treatment if needed. Not that it's at that point, but I'm just yeah. saying that that, that, uh, that that was one interesting aspect. But the one about 12 days individualised for each player yeah, was indivi- really good. Yeah, the individualisation yep. yep. of it was, for me, the most interesting yep. point, personally. And we're going to keep an eye on that as, uh, as we go on. All right, mate, let's go into Happy Days. Happy Days. And to kick us off today, happy days, happy birthday to Kari Webb, Australian golfer, seven major titles, including US Open, LPGA Tour titles. You know, really good golfer from Australia for sure. With Jan Stevenson, probably the two put the Australian female golf on the map. Um, yeah, certainly one of the all-time greats, Kari. Played for a long, long time. She was probably one of the go-to players that you would uh, you'd look for, especially with whatever advertisement or media that was coming through from the golf on the women's side. I think she would have done all right if uh, she'd been around today a little bit more with the combined tours and the combined yeah. tournaments. Profile would have been a little bit higher as well. So happy birthday to Curry Webb. All right, mate, we move on to cricket. 84, Viv Richards scores 208 against Australia at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Yes, Vivian Isaac Alexander Richards, one of the all-time greats. You know, the swagger, the chewing the gum, the no helmet, just the arrogance and self, you know, self-confidence and yeah, arrogance. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah, I think he's one of our he's a, he's one of our all-time favourites for all those. From reasons. an opposition point of yeah. view, you know, we talk about Lily and Marsh and Hughes, but. Viv Richards always comes into it, a bit like Brian Lara, you know, yeah. really comes into that psyche of going, you know, these were the guys that you just love to watch. I think especially so with West Indian cricket at the moment, it's crying out for a Richards or a Lara, something chronic. Absolutely. Well, you never know what might happen yeah. in the near future. All right, mate, we move on to basketball in the US. Phil Jackson, which most listeners may know, may not know, coached the Chicago Bulls to one of their most successful periods. He gets to 500 wins. He only did it in 682 games. That's ridiculous. That's an incredible stat. That is an incredible stat. I mean, when you've got Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen in that period there, you've got to go, well, they were certainly successful during that period. But, gee, 682 games, 500 wins. Aussie influence as well. Luke Longley. Yes. Fantastic. All right, mate, we move on. 2018, I didn't realise this until I was sort of checking up some of the stats that – the Australian Open tennis only went to a 10-point tiebreaker in the fifth set in 2018. I, I love those long matches and you know, 2018 in the fifth. Yes. It was a test of endurance. It was, you know, yeah. Well, you, you had two games that come back just off the top of my head as memory. You had one at Wimbledon and I think you had one here in the Australian Open that actually was played over two days. Like yeah. they had to actually stop play for the night and come back the following day and play. And it wasn't like it was over and done within five minutes. They played for another two or three hours. Yeah, and I, I do remember there was one game, I reckon it was Leighton Hewitt, and 
in a Aussie Open where I reckon it finished about three o'clock. I was actually at that game at Melbourne Park. It finished at four a.m. in the morning, four o three a.m. I think it was from again memory. Uh, yes, trying to catch a taxi in a um, in a train or a uh, tram home after that game was near on impossible. So you ended up having to walk. Yeah, four o'clock would uh, last beer. Last beers. Well, they were at midnight. That was yeah. the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so you definitely sobered up. That's for sure. All right, mate, let's scoot into the extra time and big finish. Extra time, big finish. All right, mate, we kick off with the AFL. Not 100% of stuff to talk about the AFL at the moment, other than that the uh, the government has sort of pushed back a little bit on the funding for the stadium for the new Tasmanian team. Yeah, plenty argy-bargy at the moment. Hopefully it's just posturing and both teams, you know, both organisations are, mm-hmm. you know, playing the... The, the cat and mouse the, game. Yeah, the game, yeah, and that. I think a stadium in Tasmania would certainly unite Tasmania as far as where they want to put it, where they want to build it, how they want to build it. I mean, you've got to understand that it's a winter sport and down in Tasmania is not exactly the most friendly environment. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I. Look, they've got to be in the competition. It's farcical to have a so-called national competition without Tasmania in it. Agreed. Personally, I think it's farcical there's 10 teams in in Melbourne. Melbourne. Comes back to one of Neville Roberts' points earlier, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Pre-season for a lot of the AFL teams have obviously wrapped up this week. It just reminds us that it's less than 100 days to round one. And don't worry, footy will still be trying to make sure it's in the news 366 days of the year, you know. We'll see what happens on Boxing Day. We had that farce of the AFL releasing the draw on, you know, when the Australia were playing in the, the soccer at yeah, 47 in the morning. morning. Was yep. it ridiculous? Yep. What was the softball? Yeah, softball nationals. Now, I didn't I didn't realise this was going on uh, last week. I happened to be at the baseball on Friday night to the Adelaide Giants and uh, there were a couple of games going on in the in the background, in the back paddocks that they've got there, and, and softball obviously shares the, the same yep. facility yep. Uh, with the baseball. And I look over and I, I see South Australian Guernseys, so I took a bit more of an interest yep. and wa- wandered over and had a bit of a watch. And, gee, the South Australian under-23 side ends up coming runner-up in the, in the national series that they had played. Yeah, so some promising results there. Again, I think nowadays... Not sure that there's enough publicity of all sport. It's it, I Again, it's a bit of the part of the now that the paper not being the big thing that it used to be. You just sort of things sneak by and look. Same thing. The, the Australian Under Nineteen Cricket Carnival's on at the moment. You wouldn't know it was on because yeah. there's no no coverage on it, and, and I wouldn't have known. You're a cricket man. I wouldn't have known as a non cricket guy. Well, a bit of interest because Max Kelly, son of Richard, uh, former Nord Glenelg, you know, player playing there, and yeah, I. Just happened to drive past Karen Rolton on whatever day of the week it was. Saw South Australia were batting and got out my car and they lost a wicket. And I realised it was Max walking into bat next. So, yeah, stayed. I know this will amaze you. I did manage to sell a book. Um, (laughs) That doesn't surprise me at all. So, out of that, but yeah. And I admit I saw a little bit of the semi yesterday and New South Wales Metro um, was certainly the side of beat. There's a couple of players there. Just wait and see where wait they see. end up. Yeah, fantastic. Swinging back to the to the softball. Once I did do a little bit of research after actually seeing it live, their coverage is fantastic online. Which is, you know, if you're a softball, um, you know, follower, you'd be pretty happy with what you're seeing. Yeah, and that's the way we we understand that's now the way of the world. But unless you're 
right into that sport, like, as you said, myself with cricket, knowing the under-19, purely because I'm a cricket nut. Yep. Well, softball, yeah, unless you're in even a sports nuts, we don't really know. So, yep. oh, We'll try yeah. and keep above it. I've liked their Facebook page, and yep. so I'm going to get updates. Yep. It's one of those ones where you, you're trying to cover as much yeah, as you can, exactly. try and give you a bit of diversity, and, and well done to the South Australian team in the championships. All right, mate, we move on to basketball. The import has been signed. Ian Clark brings a bit of experience to the 36ers. Yeah, big, a big get. He's certainly credentials are yeah. pretty impeccable. The, you've yet to hear a bad word about him. It's I, I almost... heard him. Yeah, I heard him speak tonight on the on the news. I think it was uh, very impressive. Has come obviously from a team point of view. The stories are coming out about Randall and how that sort of blew up, and and this guy's completely opposite. So yeah, kind of good things. And you probably think that's part of why they've maybe taken a little bit longer and really targeted someone. That character had to be the number one prerequisite, which is and probably could should be, have been the prerequisite in the first place. Could be here for a couple of years, Ian Clark, yeah. and and I think that's exciting for thirty six fans. The NBL have followed what the NBA have done of playing a game on Christmas Day. Your thoughts? Yes or no? I feel sorry for the players, but I do actually think Christmas night. You get home Christmas night, tired after the Christmas Day. We've all eaten way too much. You've actually had a guts full of Christmas movies in the crap by then. Yes. A bit of sport, personally, for me, would be fantastic. I'd be more than happy to watch a big bash game on Christmas night, but I understand the player's point of view. So I, I could see both sides there. I think it can be a very positive game for the NBL, that they've got games on that people can actually pull back and, um, you know, there's nothing really on Christmas night. So I think, too, let's also remember that there are a hell of a lot of people are lonely on Christmas Day, that it's not a great day for people. They may actually be thinking, you bloody beauty, there's something I can do. Uh, well, they tonight. can go to a game, yeah. So yeah. I think that's a really important point, which often gets... Yeah, forgotten about. Yeah. Sydney to Hobart. Yeah, we talked with Ben Hook a couple of weeks ago about the Sydney to Hobart race. Looks like it's going to be a great race ahead, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, the, the weather forecasts are very, very, very favourable. favourable. Yeah. I've heard that earlier tonight, and they are saying that... I know they predict the records can go and all that time, but... I reckon it might happen this year. So you're watching the cricket in the morning, you flip over to the Sydney to Hobart, and then you flip back to the cricket, and then I think you've got some big bash that's sort of somewhere in there as well. So you're going to be covered for sports, that's for sure. And just one more that, uh, that I wanted to add that's not on our run sheet was a little bit of Christmas movies, sporting Christmas movies. I'm going to give you a couple to, to maybe watch over the break. Rocky. Yes, look, all classic Rocky films. Yep. I'm a Rocky Three was yep. my favourite. Yes. Um, but, yeah, they Rocky films, yep, one yep. of the all-time great. Uh, Moneyball, uh, which sort of a little bit of baseball, but yeah. talks about sport and, and economics of sport. Uh, certainly one to, one to watch. If you if you want to watch that one over the holiday break, and probably the third one for me is just a little bit of a fun one. Major League, you know, yeah. Charlie Sheen yeah, and yeah. and and those guys getting up to the antics certainly for a bit of a laugh. But uh, yeah, that'd be my three recommendations over the Christmas break for sure. Oh, and the club and the club with and that and so, the club, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah so, Collingwood as well. Yes, yep, yeah. we'll add that one in there. Yep. All right, mate. So we've got the baseball. Mate, to finish off, I went to the baseball yes. on Friday night. Thoroughly enjoyed myself. A bit of a windy night out at at the Adelaide That's Giants home game. Probably prevented three or four home runs from the Adelaide team. They they were hitting them quite well, but 
just with the wind, the way, the direction it was coming from yep. down at West Beach, prevented that a few times. And uh, Perth have always been the Adelaide Giants' nemesis, yes. and, and they got us on Friday night quite convincingly in the end. They backed it up again on Saturday, but Adelaide finished off the three-game series with a, with a win on Sunday, I believe it was. Yeah, so, and around the mark, still, well, still on top. Yes. Hopefully, you know, the word is that there's been a fair bit of positivity and mayo and signing another pitcher to finalise their roster for the push for the championship. Championship, yep. So, so yeah. Perth is the only side that can sort of catch them there. They are going to be their nemesis, but I think the way that the conferences are going to work, we may not, May not see them again until the finals. But, yeah, I think after breaking the ABL record, we can cut them a little slap for a couple of games. But after Christmas, it looks exciting. Yeah, go the Giants. All right, mate, that is a huge episode to finish us off for 2022. We want to thank all of our listeners, not only here from Australia, but looking at the stats, we're actually getting some overseas people listening along the lines as well. We wish you guys a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Be safe. And we will see you back in 2023 for Malcolm and myself having a live podcast. We're working on getting some video equipment as well. But for the next two weeks, we're going to go back over our favourite interviews and we're going to rehash those for you guys to listen to over your Christmas break. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, folks. Thank you. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.